Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're going to read from 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're going back to our series on 2 Peter tonight. Uh, you'll find our reading on pages 1018 over into 1019 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read the whole of the chapter together. It's a chapter which speaks to us about false prophets and false teachers. And we're going to be thinking about this chapter later in our service. So 2 Peter chapter 2, and it's page 1018 and onwards in the Pew Bibles. This is God's word to us. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of, of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then, after those three ifs, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness." These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud, speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved." For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. 
For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us. And I think actually that last word was supposed to be sow, not so. <laughs> anyway, amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Second Peter chapter 2, pages 1018 over into 19, 1019 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're turning to that passage, let's pray for a moment together. Father, we're glad to come under your word again this evening, and we pray that you would help us to understand this complicated chapter, this dense chapter. We pray that you would come by your spirit and and shape us and and mould us as we've just been singing. We pray that we'd also be pointed to our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, that we would see and know him clearly through our time together. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. One of the pieces of coursework uh, that I had to complete when I was at university uh, studying journalism was that I had to record and edit a vox pop. Now, you might be thinking, what is a vox pop? But you'll know what a vox pop is because you hear and see them all the time. Uh, The phrase vox pop comes from Latin and it means voice of the people. Today, a a Vox Pop is a short video or audio clip of interviews with members of the public. You should watch out for them in the news this week. I guarantee you that you'll see one. On BBC BBC Newsline this week, a journalist will be out in the street asking people a question, sticking a microphone in their face to get their opinion on something that has happened. Uh, The Vox Pop that I had to produce was based around Christmas and what people people thought Christmas, Christmas was all about. I actually found the clip this week and I think I just stuck a microphone in front of all my friends' faces. It was just an audio one, thankfully, so it was quite an easy one to produce. But I'm tempted to do something like that again, except in a church setting. A great question for a vox pop in a church is what is the greatest danger facing the church today? If someone, if I came to you, stuck a microphone in your face, what would you do? You'd maybe run away. But what would you say? What would your answer be to the question, what is the greatest danger facing the church today? It's a big question. Here are some possible answers. An increase in the number of people who think that church is irrelevant. People just don't come to church anymore. They used to, but now they don't. And COVID kind of made that worse. An increase in the number of people who think that church is not just irrelevant, but dangerous. The church holds to some outdated views, or so we're told, and those outdated views are bad. The rise and influence of a significant lobby who who want to change how we think about gender and sexuality, that's all we're hearing about at the moment. It's all our young people are hearing about at the moment. A decrease in the number of young people attending church. Church just isn't relevant enough for them, doesn't engage them, doesn't hold an attraction for them. What's the greatest danger facing the church today? What's your answer? Here's an answer given by Ligonier Ministries. They posted an article with the same title as our Vox Pop question on their website earlier this month. This is what they say 
is the greatest danger facing the church today. Many Christians don't know the Bible. Many Christians don't know the Bible. It's not a danger from outside, it's a danger from inside. Ligonier completed a survey in 2020 which revealed that 46% of Christians they interviewed embrace the unbiblical notion that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. They found that nearly one in three evangelical Christians believe that while Jesus was a good teacher, he wasn't God. The article said, when a, when a significant number of professing Christians fail to understand essential biblical truths, such as the universal sinfulness of humanity or the deity of Christ, the gospel itself is at stake and the church's witness is jeopardized. The greatest danger facing the church today is that many Christians don't know the Bible. Connected to that, an outworking of that, is that because many Christians don't know the Bible, the church is at risk of false teaching. During the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s, General Emilio Mola marched on a city. He was asked how many columns of men he had, Five, he replied, four at my back, and a fifth column inside the walls. His reference to people ready, for, ready to fight for him inside the walls gave rise to a powerful image of betrayal and enmity, the fifth column. P Peter's contention, compared to that of Ligonier, is that although the church is buffeted from outside, her greatest weakness comes from the enemy within her own fifth column. Peter lays out his concerns in chapter two of his second letter. We're, we're back to this little series on Second Peter. We've been out of it now for a few weeks, having slowly worked through chapter one. We're gonna pick up the pace for the rest of the series. Tonight, we're gonna cover chapter two, and over the next two Sunday evenings, we're gonna finish the letter together. The chapter in front of us tonight is quite a complicated chapter. Instead of attempting to explain all the nuances of Peter's argument about false teachers, we're gonna focus on verses one to three and say some general things about false teaching. So no sows or sows tonight, just verses one to three. Now my guess is that when you hear an introduction like the one you've just heard tonight, when you hear people talk about false teaching, you probably go, well, I don't think I've ever heard a false teacher and I'm not sure that in our context, this is that relevant. Let me say two things in response. The New Testament and actually the Bible as a whole talks a lot about false teaching. Some, if not most, New Testament letters were written because there was false teaching in the churches the authors were writing to. It's a relevant issue because it's so subtle and we're on shaky ground if, we're, if we think we're immune to it. The, the second thing is that the church is engaged in a spiritual battle. Thomas Brooks, the Puritan preacher, once said that Satan labors by false teachers who are his messengers and ambassadors to deceive, divide, and forever undo the precious souls of men. There's a war raging in the heavenly realms that is unseen by us because it's a spiritual battle, but it's seen by us in another sense because we see it through false teaching in churches. We're gonna think about three things tonight as we consider this issue. The greatest danger facing the church today, according to Peter, is false teaching. And we're gonna think about the ever-present danger, the ever-gullible church, and the ever-wakeful God. Let's open this 
literal can of theological worms then. First of all, Peter tells us about the ever-present danger. Look at verse 1. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Chapter 2 is closely connected to chapter 1. In the last section, Peter explained that we have true teachers, the apostles, and that the Old Testament was written by true prophets. Now Peter says, just as there were false prophets then, so there will be false prophets today. It's good to remember that the context of both of Peter's letters is that he had played a significant role in the inclusion of the Gentiles in the church. You can read all about that in Acts chapter 10. Gentiles in the Old Testament were excluded from the nation of Israel, but in the New Testament through Jesus, Gentiles are welcomed into the church, the family of God. Israel, God's Old Testament church, had been strongly warned about false teachers. God's verdict on false prophets had been clear and consistent. Just listen to Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 3. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That, that warning was repeated constantly throughout Israel's history, and it was reinforced with the death penalty. That, that's how important it was to pay attention to what God had really said and not to make it up according to what people wanted to hear. Peter gives the warning here so that he doesn't undermine what God has said before. It's really quite alarming when you think about it. There will be false teachers among you. This warning is echoed throughout the New Testament. Paul provided a warning like this. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. John, using dramatic pictures and images in the book of Revelation, said, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole earth to assemble them for battle on the great day of, the, of, of God the Almighty." And then none other than Jesus said bluntly and directly, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. T teachers occupied a very high place in the early church. To claim to be a teacher while in reality being a false teacher was, was no minor mistake. It was to occupy someone else's position and to lead people and to, and, to, and to misleading people about God, about themselves and about the way of salvation. In the early church, there was a clear understanding of the difference between truth and error. Lots of Christians find it hard to distinguish between true and false teachers. Maybe you fall into that category. You maybe think that you should be more critical than you are but you're genuinely worried about being too concerned with minor issues. How can you be more aware of what's true and what's false? 
Reading good Christian books will be helpful. Listening to good, sound Christian preaching through a podcast or an app on your way to work will help as well. Reading and knowing the Bible yourself will help most of all. This is an ever-present danger. Calvin said the church will never be free from this internal trouble. False teaching is an ever-present danger. But how can we spot it? How can we know if someone is a false teacher? Well, that brings us to our next point, the ever-gullible church. Sometimes we're not as discerning as we should be. But Peter, very helpfully, gives us some warning signs. Warning signs that will help us spot false teachers. Just look at verses 1 to 3 again. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Did you see the signs? Peter lists five. The first is unorthodox teaching. Peter talks about destructive heresies. This sign seems obvious, but in reality, unorthodox teaching can be hard to spot. False teachers don't have big signs around their necks saying, I am a false teacher, please don't listen to me. They're normally highly plausible and they'll secretly bring or smuggle in new ideas. But instead of speaking of Christ, they will deny the master who bought them. Do you see how the word master has a capital M? False teachers will deny the Lord Jesus, the one who saved them. The second sign is free morality. Many will follow their sensuality. One of the consequences of false teaching is that it frees you from the constraints of living a straight and moral life. If you mess with the gospel, if you dilute the gospel, then ethical choices are about self-expression and fulfillment rather than purity and obedience. False teaching lets people live how they please. The third sign is, is great popularity. Many will follow. If there's no longer a master to please, then there'll only be ourselves to please. And if someone starts speaking a message that flatters people rather than calling them to repentance and faith, people will follow. If someone encourages people to enjoy their darkest and most secret wishes rather than calling for faithful discipleship, people will follow. How to spot a false teacher? Unorthodox teaching, free morality, great popularity, ineffective evangelism. Ineffective because people who aren't Christians aren't stupid. They'll be repelled by false teachers and will probably be put off church completely. Peter says, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Uh, Debbie Phillips puts it slightly more clearly by translating Peter as saying, false teachers bring discredit on the way of truth. False teachers push people away. People who aren't Christians won't take our belief seriously unless our behavior matches them. Unorthodox teaching, free morality, great popularity, ineffective evangelism, and suspect motives. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. One person says that false shepherds want to fleece the sheep. We shouldn't narrowly restrict what Peter says to be a reference to money. 
False teachers will exploit others in all sorts of ways. But by using the word greed, Peter is definitely highlighting the danger of financial exploitation. So some of the most well-known false teachers today are filthy rich. They've made a living out of exploiting people. And despite Peter's warning, despite Peter's signs, the church is still gullible. The church is probably the most gullible it's ever been. That's because everything is available at the click of a button. There's so much content online now, it's, it's hard to know what to watch and what not to watch. It's hard to know who to listen to and who not to listen to. There's also a huge amount of Christian books available to us. But just because a book has a good review on Amazon doesn't mean that you should trust what it says. The, the church is probably the most gullible it's ever been. Calvin said that the church will never be free from this internal trouble, but the church will never not exist. That that's so important to remember. Do you remember Jesus promised to Peter in Matthew 16, 18? He said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell out of which Satan's messengers and ambassadors come they will not prevail against Jesus' church. The church can be gullible, but God is gracious. He will preserve and keep his people safe. That doesn't mean we shrug our shoulders and forget Peter's warnings. Not at all. But we shouldn't despair. We shouldn't think that all is lost. Which brings us to our final point tonight. The ever-present danger, the ever-gullible church, and the ever-wakeful God. Just look at the second half of verse 3. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. It's not immediately clear what Peter is saying here. You read it and you think, well, what, what, what does he mean? What's he saying? Here's what he's saying and here's what's at the backdrop of his letter. The false teachers in Peter's day denied the second coming of Christ. If you glance over to chapter 3, you'll see that Peter talks about scoffers who will say, where is the promise of his coming? False teachers were saying that Jesus wasn't going to return again, that they were accusing God of dozing off. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah taunted the prophets of Baal by saying, perhaps he, Baal, is asleep and must be awakened. Elijah poked fun at a non-existent God, but Peter sees people poking fun at the living God, the God who neither slumbers nor sleeps. The point of the end of verse 3 is that God is watching and the false teacher's end will come eventually. In the verses that follow, Peter makes two promises and those promises give us one great encouragement. The first is that God will not let the guilty go unpunished. Well, what might seem like leniency about blasphemy and injustice is in fact sovereign patience. But it's verse three, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. The second promise is like the first, God is just. And so just as his justice will, will result in condemnation for the wicked, his justice will also result in rescue for those whose sins were dealt with at the cross. Peter says that in verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. The two promises that the ever wakeful God will punish the wicked and rescue the godly are an encouragement to live holy, hopeful, godly lives despite trials and difficulties. They're an encouragement to remain firm in the faith 
when the, when, when the seductive winds of heresy and false teaching begin to blow. The ever-present danger, the ever-gullible church, and the ever-wakeful God. If you nabbed Peter and stuck a microphone in his face for a vox pop on the greatest danger facing the church today, his answer would be crystal clear. False teaching. That that means that the many Christians who don't know the Bible really need to get to grips with the Bible. It means that you and I need to get to grips with the Bible. We can't treat Peter's warning lightly. We have to take it seriously. The, the, the application for us tonight is that if we know and love the Lord Jesus, we've got to know the Bible ourselves. Spurgeon once again said, Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. He talked about John Bunyan and spoke of how he was someone who was a living Bible. Prick him anywhere, Spurgeon said, and his blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. As well as knowing your Bible, you should wear every sermon with your own study of scripture. You shouldn't just assume that I would never slide into false teaching. I'm just a man. I'm just like you. I'm as prone to sin as you are. I'm as susceptible to error as you are. It always saddens me to hear of, of people who have burned brightly for Christ in their youth or earlier in their ministry, but who, who are barely an ember by the, by the middle or end of their service. It happens to preachers all the time. I, I know of people that it's happened to. Maybe you do too. They start with an evangelical zeal, a heart for Christ, a heart for the lost, but through one thing or another, they slide away from the basics. Repentance and faith, faithful discipleship, purity and obedience, and they end up nowhere. P P Peter lays the warning out straight and clear. False teaching is a road to nowhere. It's the greatest danger facing the church today. We have to know our Bibles. That's the challenge for us if we know and love the Lord Jesus but what about those of us who don't, those of us who aren't Christians? Well, the, the challenge is simple. The truth is the truth, and the truth doesn't change. God has made us and formed us. We have sinned and rebelled. He, he has sent Jesus to rescue and save us. You need to trust him if you haven't already. You need to turn to him in repentance and faith. The danger for you if you're not a Christian is that you fall into eternity without dealing with the big questions of life and death. That you risk rejecting the master who has bought you. The, the, the risk with that is that you'll bring swift destruction on yourself. So tonight, if you haven't already, will you turn to Christ for the first time? These are days of opportunity. Days when you can turn to the Lord in humility and say, I have messed up, I have sinned, I need you, I turn from my sin, and I trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We realize that sometimes your word challenges us and convicts us. And we realize that we can be lax in this area of false teaching, that we can shrug it off and think that it's not such a big issue. But we thank you for the simple reminder tonight that false teaching is an ever-present danger. We pray that we would be 
people whose blood is bibline, that we would know the scriptures, that we would study them earnestly, that we would seek your will for our lives by reading them and, and, and looking to you. And Father, we pray that you would guide us and that you'd help us to be discerning in these days. We realize that there's so much spiritual content out there for us to, to take in. But we pray that we would drink from your word and know Christ better. Father, we pray for those who don't yet trust in the Lord Jesus. We pray that you might point them to the Savior tonight and that they might come in repentance and faith to him for the first time. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.